This is Alex Pearson. We've already proposed an end to the catch and release bail system. And today we propose an end to the catch and release parole system. Uh, We're going to bring jail, not bail, for repeat violent offenders. We're going to ban, rather than handing out dangerous drugs, we're going to get people into rehabilitation and treatment, and we're going to get the corrupt big pharma companies to pay for it by launching a $45 billion lawsuit against those that, that kicked off the opioid crisis by, fl- by flooding our, our health care system with these addictive drugs. Well, it would be nice to see some solutions and common sense uh, that seem to have disappeared. Alex Pearson with you on this Thursday, March 30th, as we crawl our way to the end of a... Another month and a little bit closer to spring, so great to have you here this morning. Pierre Pauliever will be on with me to talk about uh, the blame game and his solutions to where we find ourselves now with this violent crime playing out all over this country. And the Trudeau government isn't to blame for all of our crime issues. They've been building for a long, long time. But, you know, certainly there's plenty to point a finger at because the decisions the government has made gives even our worst criminals the benefit rather than the doubt. And that belongs to them. And I think what's become clear since Gabriela, Gabriel Magalhães was killed is that, look, our entire judiciary, not just the bail system, needs a total overhaul. That actually, you know, tips the scales of justice back to balance. You know, the rights of the accused get all the attention. But You know, they have to matter to the public at large that justice is actually being done. And public safety at large is also being considered because without question, you know, we've seen enough evidence by now to know that the scales of justice are so far off kilter that uh, people are getting killed because of it. You know, if you need a little more proof, let's add to it. Let's add to this uh, a rape conviction to the long list of charges and crimes of the accused TTC killer. Yes, Jordan O'Brien Tobin, as you've been uh, hearing probably in the news, he's a career criminal, as we've discovered, who's spent much of his life in a courtroom, as he has on the streets. And each of those crimes gets more violent than the last. But his latest conviction, which the Toronto Star dug up, reports that less than two weeks before he ended Gabriel's life. An Ontario judge ordered Tobin be released after serving a day for multiple offenses, including the sex assault of a Toronto woman. Yeah, that's it. You get one day for that. The judge, uh, you know, he put this very clear threat, you know, on a, on a probation order and then told him, go get some drug and mental health services. And, and it was obviously ignored, like every other time a judge did that. You know, we've got... A a crystal clear case here, and I'm sure we've got hundreds of more, but this is a system-wide failure of a justice system that repeatedly ignored Tobin's very clear escalation of violence and who clearly shouldn't have been trusted with any of the freedom that he was given over and over and over again. Look, it's not like judges do not have access to all the records of those who stand before them. They do. They can look at all of these files to see if they have done other crimes, if they follow rules, if they are a risk, if they live on the streets. And, uh, and there are crown attorneys, police officers and witnesses who lay out all the facts that are supposed to be considered when deciding on release. And yet, multiple judges across this province, on the East Coast, let this guy out despite numerous attacks, armed attacks with box cutters and sitters, and now a rape conviction. 
And these are only the charges we have found yet. (laughs) We keep finding them. And we have no idea what this guy got up to as a youth because, well, by golly, all that's shielded too. And, And other charges have been dropped. So if someone like this is roaming free, imagine how many more ticking time bombs are out there. Just imagine. I mean, maybe you don't have to because you'll be confronted by them. I don't think most people would want to know at this point. The changes the Trudeau government made to bail conditions now obligates judges to give the benefit of doubt to an accused, even if they know that they are risks to society, even convicted rapists. I mean, newsflash, not everyone deserves the benefit of doubt. I mean, that just seems to be common sense, or it used to be. And, and, and we keep giving it, when frankly, it needs to stop. But we need far more than just bail reform. The whole system is broken. I know, because I've worked in it for a very long time, and the stuff I was dealing with back then, which were huge delays, huge delays, because our courtrooms and courts are so archaic. I mean, they still use fax machines. But the whole system is so delayed, and even worse now, charges get dropped, cases get thrown out, overcrowding in jails, which is, again, decades-old issue. You know, they're overcrowded, so those who belong behind bars get let out. And, of course, we don't have enough officers out there, so we've got thousands of people on bail on, you know, either a surety where someone's supposed to babysit and make t- you know, take care of them, or they get out on a promise to appear. So it's kind of like an honor system. But the cops can't go out there and check to see if all of these people are following the rules. We don't have enough officers. You know, so I guess we just trust that all these people are going to have to follow the rules. Like a pinky swear, you'll go to rehab, right? You'll get help for the schizophrenia telling you to kill somebody. You'll, you'll get help from that, right? Pinky swear? Uh, sorry, it's, it doesn't cut it. So we need more than just, you know, bail reform reviews. You know, we don't really have bounty hunters in this country. We've got bailiffs and stuff. But maybe it's time because we do not have enough officers to check up on these criminals on bail or, or following the rules. And we don't have enough cops to pick them up when they break them. Because in a lot of these high-profile murder cases... A lot of the people arrested have warrants out for the arrest. I mean, maybe if we had bounty hunters, you know, maybe Randall McKenzie wouldn't have been charged with the first-degree murder of OPP Constable Greg Pierzala. Or maybe this convicted rapist wouldn't have been able to kill Gabriel because there was a warrant for his arrest in Newfoundland. And then there's the whole issue of NCR, not criminally responsible. You know, those who commit heinous crimes but aren't responsible because of mental health issues. And we're supposed to be understanding of this, and I think we have been gritting our teeth. But it's very hard when we keep hearing stories, including like the latest ruling, which came in the murder of Mohammed Safis. He was the man stabbed to death outside a Mississauga mosque in uh, 2020. And his killer's now NCR. Despite all these well-known mental issues that, uh, again, went ignored. Because, of course, we barely have psych wards anymore. So this guy slipped through the cracks, even though there were a whole lot of warnings that he was out looking for someone to kill. He said it. And then, of course, it's always, oh, thoughts and prayers. He did it. Oh, shocking. Well, no, he said he was going to do it. Maybe believe him. You know, a lot of people ask, well, why is someone dangerous free? Because the system's broken. 
and no one even tries to fix them. We know we don't have enough mental health supports. Bed shortages, of course, have been a huge problem. Since the province closed the wards decades ago, we've only got 2,500 beds for a province of 15 million people, and not having beds means judges have to release mentally ill people to the streets or into shelters and, and hope that they follow orders to appear and then show up for their next court date. And often they don't, because, oh yeah, they need help that they can't get. You know, in order for justice to be done, it needs to be seen to be done. And right now, we can't see anything other than criminals running the show. We were tougher on people wearing masks or not wearing masks than we are criminals these days. We need checks and balances in a system that we no longer have. But the public is not buying it. I, I don't get the sense the public is buying it. We are patient to a point. But after a while, people start to lose trust. They lose faith. And I think we are at that point. about Chinese interference and, and to those who ask it's not done I'm keeping an eye on it it's not over um, it's not just China we need to worry about it's Russia they have been also playing games trying to undermine our democracy and they also love um, specific weapons like the internet where they can put disinformation out that targets both left and right and this time they're doing it with, of course, Ukraine and that's to undermine support and a report called the enemy of my enemy took uh, the last couple of years um, and looked at Twitter activity, including the lead up to the invasion of Ukraine, and then traced how accounts aligned with uh, Putin's messaging was going to be disseminated by pro-Kremlin narratives across Canadian Twitter. And what it found is that information warfare campaigns were tailored to Canadian audi audiences. And by 2023, 200,000 Twitter accounts were sharing messages with millions of Canadian users. And they were talking about, you know, the fact that, uh, things, and you've heard them probably, like Russia is denazifying Ukraine, um, that our foreign policy is controlled by Ukrainian Canadians, uh, Ukraine is corrupt. Nonetheless, my next guest is part of this study who helped undig the information. He is Marcus Kolga. You know him as the director of DisinfoWatch, senior fellow of McDonald Laurier Institute, also uh a regular here. Good to have you, Marcus. Thanks for having me on, Alex. What um what didn't I should say was well, what surprised you? And I'm like nothing will surprise you because you were the one <laughs> no. who unearthed all the uh, interference of China in 2021. But yeah. you know when you started to kind of parse and dig into this, what what was it you knew you were looking for, and what what was it that you were finding? Look, I, I mean, we started tracking these uh, these narratives that have been used by by Russia to erode support for Ukraine over the past year and a half, and going back to 2014, to be quite frank, yeah. when Russia first invaded uh, Ukraine, um, we've been keeping an eye on a lot of these narratives, and, and they're not really new, but what this data has shown us is that um, clearly these narratives are being weaponized by the, by the uh, Russian government. What they're uh, what they're doing is they've they're they're tailoring these messages for the far right and and far left as you mentioned earlier here mm -hmm. in Canada, 
And I just want to make it, make sure that we're, we're clear on it, that this is not, when we talk about the far right, we're not talking about conservatives, really. And when we're talking about the far left, we're not talking about NDP supporters. We're talking the, about um, the far left and far right that is illiberal, um, basically... Uh, illogical. People, They're just illogical. Illogical, <laughs> illogical yeah. as well. But if we're looking yeah. at the sort of political, traditional political spectrum of the, of the left and right, it doesn't really apply for this. What we're looking at is a group that falls sort of 180 degrees opposite of what we are in a liberal democracy. And so they've tailored these messages for that group. Um, they've tried to give them a Canadian spin to so that those groups pick up on them. So that, you know, mm-hmm. these are, uh, you know, anti, uh, anti-elitist, anti-establishment, anti-government narrative, anti-NATO narrative. And uh, as you mentioned, what was, sh- uh, you know, what was quite shocking in all of this was, it was to find out that there were at least 200,000 accounts that were most of them uh, linked somehow to Canada um, that where these uh, these narratives were reverberating uh, and that sort mm-hmm. of that demonstrates to me and to my uh, colleagues that uh, you know that these are these narratives are having an impact uh, on yeah. our uh, public debate and understanding of what's happening in Ukraine and that's serious um, and uh, it's something that the government needs to be taking a much much closer look at because uh, it, it does demonstrate that we are vulnerable to those, uh, not just, again, you mentioned Chinese uh, narratives, but certainly uh, Russian government narratives. Yeah, well, there's been no urgency so far. I'm not all that hopeful. But when you got 25% of those asked, you know, not even able to to identify yeah. it, because I'll get emails all day long with this stuff, and I just kind of ignore it. But I mean, there are 25% of those asked, they can't even identify it. They don't bother to source it or check it. And then it kind of becomes part of the conversation, then it blends in. I mean, there are 36%, yeah. 36% of those asked believe that NATO uh, you know, had started the war, was responsible for what's going on. I mean, or they're not even unsure. And so, again, I don't know how we get rid of this. We've got a government that is not at all serious about getting rid of this. We've got um, people who don't want to listen because they're in their own silos. And so I, I don't know how to fix this. Yeah, well, look, it's going to take a concerted effort. Uh, it's going to take, and I know, I know it's a bit, um, you know, cliche to say this, but it's, it, you know, it does require a whole society approach. Because this is not just a problem for conservatives, liberals, or the NDP. This is a problem that that is uh, that our entire democracy faces. And in fact, during the launch of, of the report yesterday, we did this in Parliament, and we were we were lucky enough to have three very you know excellent MPs uh, who co-hosted the event from all three parties: John McKay, who's a liberal, of course; uh, James Bazan, mm-hmm. who was a conservative, and, and yep. Heather McPherson, who's a member of the NDP. What what James Bazan was saying at, at that event as a conservative, and he's a strong supporter of, of Ukraine and, and of democracy, he said that every time that he gets, he posts something about, about Ukraine, yeah. he gets trolled by the extreme right and, and yeah. the extreme left, for that matter. And so, I mean, that demonstrates that this is, a, this is a, a much broader problem. And this is the approach that the government needs to take. It needs to uh, understand this. I think it needs uh, to bring in... Uh, civil society members, it needs to bring in media, it needs to bring in representatives of all the parties to sit around a table and start having that conversation. That's not happening yet. Um, but it, because of the nature of that, that threat, we need that to happen. Uh, we need that to happen very quickly because we all play a role, whether you're just a, you know average citizen, whether someone, it's someone like you who does have mm-hmm. an audience and is a, a professional journalist, 
All of us have a role to play. Uh, and so that's where the discussion needs to, to, to happen with all everyone involved so that we can find that uh, path to long-term resilience against foreign uh, information operations and influence operations. Like, I, I wish this had happened a long time ago. And I know you certainly have been, uh, you know, yelling from the sidelines for a whole long time. My concern is, I mean, you've seen the indifference and the shoulder shrugging to to actual evidence of um, Chinese interference. I mean, everyone here runs with it and goes, well, it's just racist. If we, I mean, it's it's so bizarre to me that for three years, all we heard about was Donald Trump and Russia collusion and all the rest of it. And I'm like, we've got evidence here in this country. And you're all just like... So there's so in, so much indifference to getting to the root of this, and it's so damaging. And I, I'm, my concern, I think a lot of people's concern is, you know, the, the longer we let this go on, like, well, who's to say yeah. in another year and a half uh, when we have another yeah. election that this and Chinese interference and all and Iranian interference, all that stuff won't be at such a level that it does really, really start to impact. Yeah, I'm, I'm really glad you bring up this point uh, about the Chinese interference and sort of some of the reaction that we're seeing yeah. to it. Um, I was in Ottawa the past few days, and I, and I was trying to bring this up with government officials that, you know, I, I think that there was a, a, a certainly negative reaction when um, the far right, some conservatives, uh, you know, characterized the media uh, over the past few years as being, you know, yeah. uh, lame street media and uh, and have just sort of targeted uh, journalists and, and, you know, mainstream media in general. Um, when the facts don't seem to suit um, those who are critical of, of of that in the past, they're they're now contributing to this. You know what's been a, a slow erosion of tr- public trust in, in the media by questioning those very professional journalists. I, but I'll push back on that a little bit because you've got our own government doing it. I mean, Trudeau pulled out the old tactics uh, during during the inform, inform, interference, and you had Jerry Butts, like you know, basically calling Sam Cooper a liar. You're they're they're bad. as bad. I think they've done more bad. damage. Yeah, and that's okay. what I'm 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 trying to yeah. get at is that this okay. is not helpful. These yeah. now you know they're former liberal officials who are contributing to the erosion of trust in our in our media in our professional journalists and we it's never been our trust in journalism mainstream uh, main street uh, journalism yeah. uh, or sorry mainstream journalism hasn't been lower uh in, in as low as it is now it's as, as at a historic low so they're actually yeah. contributing by questioning these journalists who are mm-hmm. professional um questioning their their reporting i mean it's, it's contributing to that erosion of trust in, in journalism and we can't have that we, we need to stop this um, we have processes in place. If those who have been exposed in those reports um, feel that they've been, uh, you know, wrongly named, well, you know, those we have courts to deal with that, um, yeah. and and that's where we do that. But uh, but to start attacking journalists who are doing their job is um, is totally inappropriate. Uh, and like I said, it's contributing to that erosion of trust in journalism. Well, it is disinformation, after all. <laughs> I mean, that's what it is. It's, you know, it's rich coming from politicians who, you know, every time they talk, they're lying. It's just they are creating the kind of disinformation that we accused other, others of. And so it's a, it's a vicious circle. Well, that's exactly it. Yeah. And, and we, we can't go around attacking jur- all journalists when we disagree with the facts that they're reporting. That's not the yeah. way we go about it. We, we go about, you know, uh, you know, going after the facts, but not the journalist himself. And that's unfortunately what's been happening Stay tuned. All right, we'll talk again. Appreciate it. Anytime. Thanks for me on out. That's uh, Marcus Kolga on this latest study into Russian disinformation.
All right, let's um, talk AI, all right? We're going to be talking AI for a while now because it's here. It's appearing more and more. I mean, this week you had the Pope wearing a uh, puffy puffer jacket. Yeah, Donald Trump was getting arrested. Soon it'll be me saying something I didn't say, but it'll be all over the web or Justin Trudeau or Pierre Paul Lievre. AI is here, and it's going to be, I think, a big problem, which is uh, why more than a thousand, you know, of tech's biggest luminaries are now calling for artificial intelligence labs to immediately pause for at least six months. And we're talking Apple co-founder Steve Wozniak, uh, Elon Musk. We're talking about the biggest of the big who are afraid that the world is locked in this out-of-control race to develop and deploy all these uh, powerful digital minds. And no one, not even the creators, have any idea of what could go wrong. Like they can't predict it. And so, you know, Elon Musk and, and Wozniak, they're saying, look, it's not that we have to slow down. They want this completely, they want the brake slammed on it. Will it happen? Uh, I don't even know. My question is like, did no one think of this? Like, did anyone in charge think, well, maybe we should put some guardrails in place? I, clearly not. David Shipley, cybersecurity expert and CEO of Boseran uh, Security joining us now. Good to have you, Dave. Good morning. Yeah, so this uh, story caught my eye because I've been wondering for a long time, like, how is it? I mean, AI is here. It's been coming for a long time. But, but like, wh why weren't checks and balances put in before? So so let me let me paint a picture of, of kind of where we're at right now. And <clears throat> for a second, imagine we are back in 1910 and cars have been around for about 30 years, but it hasn't really taken off until all of a sudden the Model T really starts going. And we start to see what this is starting to head down the road. But then in 1910, right at that moment, all of a sudden, 2023 cars are now widely available to everybody, super cheap, but they don't have things that we have today in our 2023 cars, like seatbelts, airbags, uh, basic safety things, because it didn't have time to evolve. It just magically yeah. appeared technologically leaped forward. That's where we are with AI. Everyone mm -hmm. saw the Model T, they didn't expect the hyper super powerful car when the roads weren't ready, there's not enough traffic cops, we haven't written the laws about how to manage this stuff. And now we've got a mess on our hands. This is, to use another analogy, we just walked into Jurassic Park when the storm hits <laughs> in the original movie. Yeah, I mean, it's like the Terminator, things that you watched as a kid, you're like, wait a second, it's true. And so like, how concerned, um, you know, are you and do these do these guys, do these power brokers have the power to actually put a stop to this? I don't know if they have the power to put a stop to it. And the speed at which government operates does not yeah. align to the sense of urgency uh, being expressed here. And absent something like a public health emergency, we wouldn't normally see them act with this much speed. And, and what's happening right now is you've got this profit-centric, absolute, complete, mad dash race to yeah. use this uh, unknown technology in all these different ways without regard to the potential mental health impacts, safety impacts, job impacts. One in four jobs may be in jeopardy right now uh, if we don't yeah. carefully think about how we want to do this. So... And in Canada, our, our current proposed laws around artificial intelligence are 18 to 24 months from being a reality, mm. let alone yeah. actually having an impact. And, and you've got these companies racing to put this technology in place at the same time that they're firing the people responsible for AI ethics. So this is 
incredibly dangerous. Imagine if you've given a toddler a machine gun and, and, and you're wondering what bad things could happen. Mm, a yeah. lot. Yeah. A lot can happen. And my concern, like, like instantly, and I think it was about four months ago when I saw an interview with uh, Justin Trudeau sitting down, and I can't remember who he was talking to, but this AI video comes out, and no one knew it was AI. It's like, who, who's he talking to? It, you know, it was kind of crude. You had to watch, and then you realized, okay, this is fake. But, you know, in a year, let's say we're going into an election, who's to say, like those blackface pictures, um, you know, the next time that happens, it could be AI doing it. And, and what do you believe? Or or it could be someone taking my voice and putting a video out of me saying all sorts of stuff I never said. Or Pierre Polyevra could be saying all of a sudden something that he didn't say. Like, there's so much that could go wrong that, like, kills trust, undermines everything. Um, and it, it, it's more than just a problem. I mean, it's coming at us, and I don't know if it can be stopped. It, it can only be stopped. If the companies racing to do this themselves realize that they need to take a breather, and I don't think they have that self-awareness. They are like the lovable old man in Jurassic Park, so quick to use the technology to stand on the shoulders of giants without of earning the science or thinking about the consequences, and they're just really excited to build their dinosaur park. And we're all yeah. going to live with the consequences of it. So, you know, th there's that part of it. I think the thing that that really concerns me is that trust is at an all-time low in society. Oh, yeah. We, we yeah. are exhausted. It was heading in a bad place since 2016. The pandemic has only accelerated it. And we are lighting a gasoline fire on already damaged, diminished trust. So, so that's yeah. frightening. And I'll give practical examples for listeners. One experiment a, a reporter tried with ChatGPT is it was asking for a review and recommendation of a local restaurant, and the AI made up the restaurant. Um, yeah. It just completely made it up. The restaurant didn't exist. It it, it gave the, a false location, and then it tried to gaslight the reporter when they challenged them on it. And, and I think the most important thing that people need to know about these, particularly ChatGPT, this is not intelligence. When you hear ChatGPT, I want you to think, of a very sophisticated, hyper-lucky parrot that can spit out words it's heard mm. before that sounds like it knows what it's talking about. But this is a bird brain. It has no idea what it's saying. Yeah. Well, look, one way that they could stop it is if someone who's caught up in it sues them, you know, like money talks. So maybe a, a Justin Trudeau type or something has to like level these companies with a lawsuit because if you take my image or my likeness and and I'm destroyed over it, maybe that's what will get their attention. But I don't I, I mean, at the rate it's coming, I think it is very concerning because it's kind of like I, I don't think we can put the uh, toothpaste back in the tube. No, and 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 honestly, we we do this to ourselves as humans, and and, yeah, and this of course. Case, our blind faith with technology bites us in the backside. It's weird, though, eh, David? Because we regulate everything. They love to regulate, 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 and then when it comes to the really big stuff that actually needs it, they're just way too late, and then they'll throw way too much at it. It's just like they try to overcorrect, and then it makes a mess. Stay tuned. Absolutely, oh, and, and look, yeah. but but look yeah. how long it took us to get seatbelts in cars. Right. Like we, we mm -hmm. had to fight tooth and nail. The car manufacturer said, no, no, we're going to go bankrupt, bankrupt mm -hmm. if they had to add mm -hmm. seatbelts in their cars. And it took decades to get that right. And we're facing the seatbelt in a car moment and we don't have decades to fight with them. And 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 the consequences are huge. You know, for listeners, one thing that's really important is these these chap GPTs are built on large language models from scraping the Internet. Everything, the good, the bad and the extremely mm -hmm. ugly. 
And the people who were paid $2 an hour in Kenya to read the most vile things on the internet, to flag them as toxic, all ended up with significant mental health trauma to build this mm -hmm. thing. That's a lot of mm -hmm. bad karma heading our way. Mm, no question about it. Yikes. I just, I'd go back to that time uh, when, when you could sit in that uh, middle of your parents' car in the middle. We just go back to that time with those seatbelts when you got to fight over who was going to sit on the armrest. Uh, seems like a much more con uh, simple time. Nonetheless, Dave, we will continue talking about it. Maybe we can pressure them into uh, getting off their butt. Thank you. I appreciate your time. You're very welcome. Take care. All righty. So we'll keep an eye on that one. But uh, when you got guys like uh, Wozniak and, and Musk, whatever, when the power brokers are saying, yeah, it's got to stop. I, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. All right. Look, it is a very busy day. We got lots coming at us. So I'll see what uh, develops. I'm watching this uh, report on Nova Scotia coming out. Will anyone pay a price there? I don't know. I wouldn't count on it. Thank you to Heather Burton. Thank you to Mr. Corey Manuel. I thank you for listening, and we'll do it again on Friday. Have a great day.